Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Jen Amos. And today I have with me Brandon Metcalf, who is the CEO and founder of Place Technology. His website is placetechnology.com. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to speak with you because I feel like in 2020, uh, it was sort of a hit or miss with a lot of businesses. Uh, Some people thrived, some people didn't, unfortunately. And uh, your business was actually able to ride the wave of COVID in a sense. So uh, tell us a little bit about Place Technology and and how within 15 months you were able to become a six-figure company, now uh, projecting to be a seven-figure company. Yeah, I mean, COVID was a is an interesting whirlwind for everyone, right? Uh, I've been running <laughs> businesses for a long time and never experienced anything like that. Um, but I think it really is just um, a testament to what we're doing um, with with Place. So, you know, my last company was a software company that we built into a global organization, and we ended up building all these financial models um, in Excel to run that business and. Mm we learned firsthand how painful it was because we spent hundreds of hours every single month um, trying to get these forecasts produced in Excel or Google Sheets. And, you know, the the pain with it was we had to copy and paste data from multiple systems to get it to a place where we could actually put it under the spreadsheet to do the Mm -hmm. forecast and then pray that you didn't, you know, type in something wrong, break a formula. And if you did, you know, also hopeful that you find that mistake right there and then. But I can tell you there was many months where we get surprised by a gotcha in the forecast and we're like, oh, that's a, that's a mistake oh, no. months ago. Yeah. Um, but we also knew the value of having these models uh, and it really let us run the business um, pretty well. Like for example, like early on, we were, I don't know, two or three years in and we had the opportunity to win a deal with the ADECO group, which is what was the largest uh, company in, in our segment. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out what was that going to look like? Um, they had 30,000 or 33,000 employees and we would be their whole operating system. So how in the world do we do this considering at the time we were a 40 person company? Mm. Um, so I leveraged all these models to come up with, Hey, we need to raise about 10 to $15 million to pull this off. And here's all the outcomes and all of that. And I gave our investors a lot of confidence. And, you know, over the years of talent rover, we get really good at doing this financial forecasting, but it was just painful. Um, so when I sold the business, uh, this is, I started doing some consulting work and it became clear that these companies I was consulting with, this was as big of a pain for them as it was for me. Um, so I wanted to solve this. Um, but I also wanted to solve it in a different way. Like technology for forecasting has been around for decades, but, and we looked at it at talent reverse. Well, we actually chose one of the products, but after six to nine months of trying to get the thing installed, we scrapped it, went back to our spreadsheets because you needed like an army of people and a really big wallet in order to pay for it. And it was just difficult. So Mm -hmm. we wanted to make it simple to install, really easy to use, but really the big thing we wanted is to connect the dots of the flow of data. So, we don't want to do the copy paste process from one system to the next. We want the data just to flow in and out, meaning into the accounting system and out of the accounting system into our product. But we also wanted to connect finance with operations. Like I've never mm-hmm. understood why finance lives in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like everything finance does is, is in this mystery system that no one else has access to. And 
um, the business needs that information as quickly as possible to make the best decisions. And then on the finance side, the work they're doing is incredible and calculating these numbers and it's a lot of hard work and they're really focused on making it accurate and detailed and trying to give the business the information they need as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. But they have a big battle to pull that off. Um, so we said, what if it make it easy for them to do the forecasting? What if we still make it flexible so they can still change the model, do whatever they need? What if we connect it directly to the business so that the business gets real-time information from finance and finance gets real-time information from the business? And that was the, the genesis for creating place. And it was also the reason why we built it inside of Salesforce because Salesforce essentially becomes the operating system. So, you know, when COVID hit, we, we like every other business, was we were concerned, what do we do? Right. Luckily, I had place that I could actually leverage to say, okay, what are all my options? Um, and we were able to model out different options that helped us survive um, and, and sort of thrive a bit. Um, I think no one's numbers were exactly where they thought they were going to be, but I think we had a really good year considering yeah. we went to market in January of 2020. So it wasn't just the pandemic. We were a brand new company that no one's heard of. Right. Um, and when you think about a finance product, you usually don't think about Salesforce. When you think about Salesforce, you don't think about finance. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, we're the only financial forecasting product on that platform. Um, but it was not only what we're doing, it was how we're doing that I think really resonated with people during 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, because essentially, we can help them plan the future like we were planning and, and being able to understand really what the numbers were so they can make the best decisions. And that's what helped us win the deals that we won and also is, is really shaping up 2021 to be super exciting. Yeah, that's awesome, Brandon. Thank you for sharing all of that. Even just your back history on uh, just doing Excel sheets. Uh, I never did well in math in college. So, <laughs> or even just get, you know, I had a friend who just um, was into Excel sheets, Excel sheets so naturally. And I was just like, I'd, I definitely would rather just hire someone who's just really good at that. So I yeah. could just only imagine the pain it was, you know, to really do all that manually in a sense uh, to now, you know, having this financial forecasting um, software system uh, so that it is a lot easier. It marries, like you said, uh, finance with operations where um, I think that's true. I don't often think about finance and operations dancing together. You know, it's usually like separate departments of sorts. And so for you to be able to marry the two together essentially, um, and, uh, help, you know, make it easier for businesses, I think is pretty incredible. Yeah. And finance, um, like finance departments are really smart people. They understand Mm -hmm. the numbers, they understand what makes up the numbers. Um, and they have a really good sense of what's really happening with the business. And it's usually a more unemotional sense than, Mm -hmm. than what you see from actual department leaders or sales leaders, or even, uh, the Mm C-suite. Um, but they sort of had their hands tied behind their back a little bit with just how complex it is to do their job. So we want to actually give them a strategic seat at the table of saying, don't spend all your time gathering the data and crunching it. Yes, you still have to understand it. And yes, you need to make sure it's presented right. But tell us what we should be doing with this information. Tell us, you know, what's the strategy the company should be executing? Like really, what do the numbers say? Not how did the numbers get created? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you did mention that you started at the beginning of 2020 and who you are, 2021, already projecting to um, you know increase your revenue. Uh, tell me about uh, maybe some of the companies that uh, started working with you at the beginning of it all and are still with you today. Uh, you don't have to name drop, but maybe some examples <laughs> or describe the examples. Yeah, I mean... I- January 2020, we we basically brought on one company, um, and then it was pretty slow for us for you know all the way through June. Which mm-hmm. I think if you look at the pandemic and also 
we were just trying to figure out who we hire, what's our messaging, what's our positioning, why would someone buy this? We we're also trying to figure out our category because as much as we're a financial forecasting software, we're not like the others. And there's really this new um, breed of, of software that's coming out. Dave Kellogg um, you know, referenced in one of his blogs, we're in what he calls EPM3. So EPM stands for Enterprise Performance Management. It's a form of what we do, but it's now the third generation where we're doing things very differently, where you know, we're focusing on simplifying the installation. So instead of six to nine months of install, it's three to six weeks. Finance teams are already busy enough. They don't have time for a six to nine month implementation. Mm-hmm. And then also connecting the flow of data and just making it simpler and more real time to understand the data is the big thing. So if you look at our early customers, they got it. Um, it was an interesting experience of you know, doing the initial demos like with any new product and seeing people react somewhat, not react in the ways you think they would. We also did a lot of testing though. So in 2019, we built out an army of, of beta companies that would be interested mm-hmm. in the product and all of that. So we got that feedback and understood it. Um, so then really June of last year is when we started to actually bring on customers and then it just mm-hmm. kind of took off, um, which I'm really proud right now we're ranked as the third highest rated product in our category on um, G2. Um, so that's from customer review. So we're doing something right. That's awesome. um, but really the types of companies that seem to be attractive to us are companies that are growing. Um, like if you're a company that's been around for 200 years um, and you're not really growing that much, we're probably not the right product for you because mm-hmm. the way you're doing things now have probably worked for a long time. Right. The companies that really respond to us are, you know, tech companies, software companies, and even professional services companies that the business is dynamic, the business is evolving, the business is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of our secrets though as to success is we only sell to technology and services companies at this stage. So mm-hmm. we're not selling to manufacturing, we're not selling to financial services because if we did, there'd be a tremendous amount of customization to get the product set up for them. Yeah. But we've also very been very focused on segmentation to go really deep on the product features for those segments, but also make it a very quick time to value and, and, you know, the ROI is increased for it. So, you know, so far we've, we've not churned any customers. Um, That's going to change. Of course, we're going to end up churning customers. It's the nature of the game, Uh, but we're really focused on customer love. Um, You know, this is an an initiative we had in June of last year is basically, so we have an onshore team here in Austin and a couple of remote people in the United States. And then we have a development team, our engineering team is in Jaipur, India, Mm -hmm. which is the same setup that I had with my last company. And it's brilliant. I love it. That team over there is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But we wanted to, I wanted the, I wanted the whole company to answer three questions. Um, I wanted them to answer, what does it mean for a customer to love us? Why does it matter that customers love us? And how do we get customers to love us? And it became the foundation of a lot of the things that we do throughout the company. And where this idea sort of came from is um, uh, Woodson Martin, who's at Salesforce, had a long conversation with him Mm -hmm. um, in February of 2020. And I I just asked him, I'm like, okay, you're in my shoes. What should I be focused on? He's like, get 10 customers to love you. You can get Mm -hmm. 10 customers to love you. That's the foundation you need. So that evolved to how do we do this customer love? And what I ended up doing is everyone in the company had to participate. And I grouped, you know, different people from different teams and different locations together. So it was a really mixed bag. We basically had five teams present to me and to the board on the the answers to those three questions. Um, And then we, we 
had a winner for those questions. But really what we did is we took all the information that we learned from the whole company, because I do believe your best insights and the best decisions or the best actions you can make come from the team and not from the founder themselves, usually. Mm. Um, So we took all that, we learned it, and we baked it into all of our processes. And I think that's why you're seeing the reviews that we're getting, the loyalty that we're getting, the success that we're getting from these early customers. So we're trying to maximize that going into 2021 and onward. And it's just been a really good, good process so far. Yeah, I really like um there's two things that you mentioned is that you know it's one thing to found a company but it's extremely important to listen to the feedback of your team as well as the com- uh, as well as the customers. I think we can spend all day coming up with the perfect avatar and niche, you know. Um and that and and you know we can be stuck in our own head as founders and visionaries. So I think it's great that you had this idea and you shared it with the team and the customers and you sort of let them tell you, you know, what you know, how can our customers love us, you know, um, and, and, and yeah, how can we get them love us? Why should they love us? And, and what have you. So I think that's really powerful to be uh, receptive to that feedback. Yeah. And, you know, we learned at Talent River, my last company as well, mm-hmm. um, customers' opinions and feedback really matters. Now there's an art to it where mm-hmm. you can't take what the customer is saying verbatim. Like if mm-hmm. they say, I want it to be pink, you can't just go and make your software pink. Yeah. You got to understand, well, why are you asking for it to be pink? What are you trying to actually solve? And then we need to go solve it. Mm. Uh, we made mistakes at Talent Rover where a customer said, I wanted to do X. And we go, okay, we're going to make it do X. And then we're like, okay, that was not the right direction because right. our customers are really good at what they do. Most of them are not really product development experts and solutioning mm. experts when it comes to that respect, which is why they come to us in the first place. So it's a yeah. balancing act, but you know, a combination of listening to your customer, but really listening to your team. Um, mm-hmm. They're in the trenches way more than I am. They're having way more direct conversations with customers. They know where yeah. the gremlins are buried in the product. They know what's working, not working. They're your best source of truth. So then taking that and analyzing and figuring out how do you turn it into something actionable or meaningful, that's really what the leadership team should be doing. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I like how you encourage uh, our listeners to not necessarily take customers' words and feedback verbatim. It's more like, okay, this is what they're saying, but what are they really saying? You know, like really getting beneath that. I'm curious if you have an example of that where a customer says one thing and then you discovered what they really wanted instead. You know, I, I don't know if I had a specific example off of the top of my head, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think over the past really 10 years, we've always tried to be engaged with the customer and really trying to have them tell us what our product roadmap should mm-hmm. be. Um, I think there's a mistake that that um, companies can make where they go and they, they have this big elaborate roadmap of features that they think are super cool mm-hmm. and that at the end of the day are just going to change the world. Right. In reality, do you have buy-in from your customers and, you know, is it really going to solve what the customer is looking at solving? Like uh, an example that I think is related to this is we pay close attention to how customers are actually using place, mm-hmm. um, what, what pages they're clicking on, what they do, how they use it and all of that. And there's some customers who are using it in ways that we're like, okay, we didn't even think they could use it that way. Why are they using it that way? And they're not using other things that we thought were just kind of like the staple mainstay they got to use. Yeah. So if we had an ego about it, we could go to the customer and say, you're using our product wrong. You need to do it this way, blah, blah, blah. Right. But instead, if you take a step back and go, what are they actually doing? What are they actually trying to accomplish? And engaging them in that way Mm -hmm. and letting them tell you, this is the pain I'm trying to solve. 
Um, it starts to give insights of what your product should really be doing to deliver the value the customers are actually asking for. And then we take it another step further, again, back to this customer love thing. Yeah. We see if the customer wants to engage with us on an ongoing basis then of as we develop what you're thinking you need, and then we solution it in a way that we think it's solution, let's give you a seat at the table. Let's say, you know, what we're designing and how we're designing it. Does this actually make sense? Does this solve the problem? And let them give us feedback because they're the experts on what it needs to ultimately produce. Mm-hmm. We need to check our ego, listen, and then solution it to figure out how we actually deliver it. And that will influence your roadmap in a way that you probably never would have thought of. Yeah. You know, Brandon, I feel like the the thing that you're really good at is you're a great listener. <laughs> you know, you listen to your customers, you listen to your team. And uh, as you mentioned, your company has already received uh, multiple customer reviews. Uh, tell me, are there any reviews that stood out to you that is a pride point for you? You know, it's it's really rewarding to see two different things. If you look at most of our reviews, they rave about the team. Mm. They rave about, you know, Neil and Simon, who are the two guys that have been, you know, not only implementing, but but supporting customers once they go live. They rave about them mm-hmm. um, because we really care. Like we it's not so much selling you the product and just getting you installed. It's are you really using it? Are you really yeah. getting the value? So those guys have gone above and beyond. And customers love it. Yeah. Um, and that's just the mentality. And then the second piece is just hearing that it really solves what they bought the, the product for. So one of the things we do in the early stages of the sales process is we identify three goals mm-hmm. that the customer thinks they want to solve by buying our product. Mm-hmm. And our, our whole sales process revolves around, can we solve those goals? We're not going to oversell you because I've learned in the past that if you're selling vaporware and selling the dream and not what's reality, it's eventually going to bite you on the butt. So sell what's realistic that your customer is going to get and be honest and level set with the customer that this is what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. So we take those goals and not only do we use it in the demo process and, and you know validate we can accomplish them, but when the customer goes through onboarding, we are focused on those goals. Is our onboarding mm-hmm. program and plan going to deliver those goals for you? And then as it moves into, you know, post onboarding and they're using the product on a daily basis, customer success is paying attention and asking questions. Is it solving? And then what we do is we also evolve the goals. Mm -hmm. So once we've accomplished them and it's running and it's seamless and all of that, what else do you want to do with this? And this helps us expand the relationship with the customer so that we continue to add more value. It also, you know, on our side makes makes us extremely sticky. Um, our product is very difficult to get rid of once you start using it because it just does so much for you and it automates so many administrative and manual tasks that it would be painful to get rid of it and try to do it manually again. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Just everything from um, just your intent on creating the software program to begin with, to having an awesome team, to the customer reviews raving about you and your team um, and what you guys offer, I think is absolutely incredible, Brandon, and you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> Thank you. We're having a lot of fun. It's you know, anyone who's ever worked in a startup, it is beyond stressful. The team is pushed <laughs> in a bazillion different ways. I've been through it, which is why I have so much gray hair. So it's <laughs> it's interesting to see the team learn and, you know, hit walls that they've got to overcome those setbacks and also celebrating the small successes that we have. Yeah. Um, and as the sign says, that's one of our core values. Enjoy the journey, which is one of the easiest things to overlook um, as you're building a software company or a startup because it's it's you get more beat up and you get rewards on a daily basis. It feels like so yeah. really taking the time and enjoying the people you're working with and celebrating even the smallest success. And, and the way I always look at it is, are we progressing? Are we moving a needle forward? Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, one step forward, two steps back, 
um, type of thing, but are we progressing and moving forward and can we pay attention to what's working so that we can also analyze what's not working and, and come up with solutions to continue to, to grow the business? Yeah. Wow. Well, Brandon, I feel like you shared a ton of value and wisdom and advice today to our listeners, uh, but I just want to make sure I covered on my bases. Is there anything else you want to share before we go? No, I mean, we're having a ton of fun. We're, we are wanting to um, make the life of finance a lot easier than what they've struggled with. So um, we'll continue our focus and continue our focus on customer love and then see where we go. Fantastic. Well, Brandon, thanks again for joining us on our show. I really enjoyed our conversation today. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, to our listeners, once again, this is Brandon Metcalf, who is the CEO and founder of Place Technology. You can learn more about him and his company at placetechnology.com. With that said, thank you all so much for joining us and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.